Hello, this is Matt, and before we get into this week's um, podcast uh, topic, I just wanted to quickly give you a little bit of background on the topic. Um, as we were recording this podcast, um, in classic sitcom fashion, I was um, getting ready to rush off to the airport, um, so we only had a limited amount of time, and I sort of rushed through the beginning, um, and this topic is... Um, on the beat generation uh, of writers and, and artists um, and Innis um, had a question for me asking sort of what is the beat generation and I just wanted to quickly cover that before we get into the topic so for people who, who haven't heard of it before. Um, it was a movement in the 40s, uh, 50s and 60s, uh, mainly writers but also artists who rejected um, conventional society. They were outsiders and they were heavily influenced by the Romantics um, and were looking for a new way to live uh, and new ways to approach culture, new ways of writing, um, fiction and poetry. Um, I've just got a couple more um, descriptions that people have said, um, explanations of, of the generation, but um, there is no there is no um, accepted really um definition of of the beat generation this why i'm saying this will all become clear once you start listening to the podcast um jack Kerouac once described the beat generation um as members of the generation that came of age after world war ii uh, the korean war um who join in a mystic disaffiliation and material simplicity values supposedly as a result of cold war disillusionment um, or there's another definition I found that said this so-called beat generation was a whole bunch of people, all of different nationalities, who came to the conclusion that society sucked. So that's just a little background on on who, on on what they believed really. Um, so now hit the music and we'll get into the report. Welcome to Idiots Talk History. I'm your host Matt, and with me, as always, are my co-hosts. First up is Lorna Barry. Hello. And oh, I'll cut you off a bit there. Sorry, as <laughs> it's going on for so long. <laughs> and Innis Jackson. I'm doing full names. Hello. Matthew Singleton. Yeah. Oh. Okay. <laughs> um. Yeah, we're back. Mm. Um. I'm the main business. How is everyone? Good. Great. I'm alright. Yeah. I'm alright, right, yeah. Thanks for asking eventually. Oh, um, oh, 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 oh it's late. I'm tired. You know, it's one of those days. You had a long week, have you? I had a long week. Yeah. Um, yeah, how many days off have you had now? This is my third day. But uh, I'm working from home at the moment. Yeah. Um, and I've been doing some of this work, so I'm gonna get into this um, report straight away if that's alright with you. Go Could I ask it. you what's ask it me a song? question? Yes, it is um well I won't give away the actual title um of the report, but it's okay. about Lucian Carr and David Camera. Camera. Cameron. I've just realised I can't I have not looked up how to pronounce his not name, but it's K A double M E R E R. Camera. Camera. Can I see it? Camera. 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 Yeah. Yes. So, <laughs> you ever heard of these two guys? 
is the British Prime Minister. Lucian Carr. Not David Cameron. Lucian Carr. Okay. No, uh, he sounds cool. Lucian Carr. Lucian Carr. So, um, Lucian Carr and David Cameron were outside people of um, a movement called the Beat Generation. You heard of the Beat Generation? No. Lorna, you've heard of Beat Generation? Yes. Um, Why do you know so much? So, it's only Matt's favourite thing. It's not my favourite <laughs> thing, but I just, I'm just i interested in two generations of writers. One is the Beat Generation of the 50s, and one is the Lost Generation of like the 20s, which is like Hemingway and Fitzgerald um, in the 20s. And in, in the uh, 50s, uh, the main players of the Beat Generation were Allen Ginsberg, William S. Burroughs, and Jack Kerouac. Um, and those three were sort of arguably the three main people in it, and there was people around them. Um, and they wrote three, each wrote like a seminal piece of work. So Allen Ginsberg was a poet, he wrote a poem called Howl, and then William S. Burroughs wrote Naked Lunch, and Jack Carrot wrote On the Road. And those three are like these big works of writing. What's up? Doesn't matter. <laughs> so. Um, out, so this was a movement basically they were very anti-establishment they were very like testing the boundaries of what you could say basically all three books got banned at the time um, and other people Wait, it, all of them? yeah make, all, those three books all got banned what was the third one? Uh, on the, the road, road I'm banned. pretty sure On the Road got banned yeah um, I'm not sure actually about On the Road definitely the, the other two was yeah one I'm not surprised of, is, is that a point? Howl is the um, is Allen Ginsberg's poem. Are you going to read it to us? No. Probably not So suitable. Because it's not really about these three. Um, but other people within this generation, Beat Generation included Neil Cassidy, included Lucian Carr, and to a lesser extent definitely David Cameron. They weren't really part of it. They were friends with all these other guys. So this man named David Cameron, uh, and whilst... Ginsburg, Kerouac and Burroughs have gone on to have this international fame. Cameron is somewhat unknown. Um, he, though, had a great impact on the Beat Generation and what it became, despite never being part of the movement. He didn't write anything important. Um, and this is a story of lots of different angles. It's lots of different opinions about what the people were thinking at the time, who actually liked each other and all this sort of stuff. Um, so take it all with a grain of salt, this whole story. Um, but this is an amalgamation, as Just always. Just a grain or a pinch? A lot. A pinch? A, a, like a, a tub. A tub of salt. Yeah, right, okay. um, but this is an amalgamation of all the research that I did on the topic. So, Camera, David Camera, had been friends going back in time. Just going to give you a bit of background on him. Mm-hmm. And then I got on, on to Lucian. Camera uh, had been childhood friends with a man, with William Burroughs, William S. Burroughs. And they'd been quite close uh, because in 1933... Um, I mentioned this was all in the 50s. I think it was in the 40s, actually. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. What is the Beat Generation? It's a generation of writers. But why are they called that? Uh, why are they called the Beat? I don't know why they called the Beats. Trying to beat the system. I don't know. Okay. Uh, never mind. I've, it's never occurred to me to question that. I should have looked that up, really. Okay. I thought I know why they called the Lost Generation, the but... Beat, but I, don't, I can't remember. But they're anyway, just this generation. Lucian, Lucian yeah. Carr. So, David Cameron. Oh, David Cameron. He was friends with William S. Burroughs. They, they were close. They'd been to Europe together in 1933. Um, and Burroughs described him as always very funny, the veritable life of the party, and completely without any middle class morality. 
Camera went on to teach PE and English at Washington University in St. Louis, and he ran a youth group. So he's like, must be maybe in his 30s this time. I should have got when they were born, really. That would have been helpful. But So he's teaching his youth group, and Lucian Carr, the other guy, um, who's a lesser-known member of this beat generation, um, and that's because his writing never became as famous as everyone else's, and it'll become clear at the end of this tale why it didn't become um, quite as famous. He was born in 1925, and his father left when he was about five, so he was brought up by his mother. Um, apparently, he was quite a pretty guy. Um, mm. In his book, uh, Vanity Vanity of Doulouse, Jack Kerouac described Lucian Carr as being of fantastic male beauty, actually like Oscar Wilde's model male heroes. Uh, in another book, he called him, um, I can't read one of his words because it's a bad word, but he said, the kind of boy, literary something, um, writes sonnets to. Um, so, yeah, he was really, really pretty. Uh, and he was a bit rich, sort of. Um, and he was quite talented, apparently, in his writing, but... Um, anything he's not good at, then. So, well, he's talented, but he said he didn't really write anything... Groundbreaking. Uh, in, his, in his obituary when he died, uh, he was called a literary lion who never rode. Mm. He had all his oh, talent he never so did anything. So was he a bit lazy? Yeah, I think maybe. But that's mm. not a word that I've written Lines down. Yeah. So I mentioned that Camera ran this youth group. Oh, well, Carr, Lucian Carr, joined this youth group, um, which I believe was, I think, a Boy Scouts group. Mm. I thought they were a similar age. No, this is what I'm getting yeah, at now. Right. So Lucian Carr is a boy camera is this um man mm-hmm. and it seems that camera fell in love with lucian carl oh the oh, teenage boundaries. boy oh, um no. so carl's son caleb car who i mentioned throughout Carson. yeah lucian carl's son later. later on sorry oh, okay. um caleb, caleb caleb um he later recalled how camera's obsession began when lucian was about 12 how was he so, He's his son, I don't know, maybe... Maybe he told him. Maybe, yeah. I don't know. Um, gets weirder, this story. Mm. Um, it's a very unpleasant story, I should have said that out at the top. <laughs> okay. Classic, man. Classic. Mm. Um, in 1940, the two of them travelled together to um, Mexico. Mexico. Just the two of them? Yes, with... Um, I'm trying to find out when David Cameron was born. Just Wait, what, how old was he when they went to Mexico? Um, so Lucian Cow would have been 15 or so. Because he's born in 1925. Mexico. Mexico, yeah. This is all wrong. Oh, David Cameron was born in 1911. What year is it? Oh, now? so he's a good 13, 14 years older. Yeah, so he's 1911. Um, they met uh, when Cow was about 12, so that would have been 1937. So it would have been in his 20, yeah, 26. 26. Yeah. So he's old enough. So yeah, in, in 1940, the two travelled to Mexico with permission from Carl's mother. Oh. Um, but she um, found some letters that David Cameron had sent to her son, who was 15, and she was a bit shocked by this, by the letters that he was writing to mm. this boy. Um, and apparently they're quite desperate. And naturally then she fought to keep her son and this man apart uh, and I, I understand it's 
really unsettling and really creepy, this story. Mm. And it gets a bit worse. Um, so, Kaz's mum, Lucian's mum, sent him off to boarding school in Chicago. And who turned up? Oh, he didn't follow him. Camera turned up uh, at the school. At each school, in fact, that Car went to and enrolled at, um, he was met, not by coincidence, by uh, David. He needed a restraining like a order. Like a stalker, yes. Yeah. So Camera followed him from school to school, from Massachusetts to Maine to Columbia. Finally went to Columbia University. What, was he a teacher at these schools? Um, yeah, so uh, I, I, I think so. So like... Um, my, 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 Cameron. Cameron. He, he taught so PE in English. David Cameron. <laughs> it's not David Cameron. We're not slandering David Cameron. Here. Um... He did, yeah, he taught PE and, and uh, English. Okay. Um, but I'm not sure if he got a job at every school, but I just, I every university. Think you to go on your bad blokes list. David Cameron definitely goes, goes on my bad blokes list. Um, and you at the start when I said he ran a youth group, and you were like, oh, he's a good guy. I was oh, no. like, I'll just wait. <laughs> I'll just wait like 30 seconds. I was like, oh, well, but you, now I'm like, You no. do your youth work. I know, which is why I'm like, this is all wrong. Yeah. There's clear boundaries. There's a code of conduct. Yeah, I realise. I'm really sorry. We had a nice one about vegetables (laughs) last week, but this is just very disturbing. But sometimes Mm. we can't avoid these things in history, which is what we always say when it's a sad topic. (laughs) uh, Yeah, every time. Yeah. So, Carl wasn't interested in in having any sort of. Please don't sniff the microphone. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Any sort of relationship with uh, David Cameron. Um, but he enjoyed the attention apparently oh, as he got a bit older. That's why he didn't go to the police. Yeah, that's a bit weird. So, Cam- Wait, what happened when he went to Mexico? They just went. Yeah, just went. Um, I'm not sure what happened, but obviously his mum found all his letters. After like, while, he was there. Th- while he was there, I think. Um, so, but no, like I say, he seemed to enjoy the attention from what I've heard apparently. Mm-hmm. And Camera would ghostwrite Carl's homework for him. Oh, that's why he kept him around. Yeah, that's alright. That and good deal. it's been said that he accepted this really unsettling, obsessive man in his life because of the disappearance of his father when he was, I think, five. But that's just some speculation. I don't want to yeah. say this is what he was thinking. Psychology. Yeah, I don't want to yeah. psycholo- psychologically analyse him. But So, camera and cars. Um, I've written relationship, but I've written is it even a relationship or friendship? It's basically stalking. Mm. Uh, was obviously troublesome, and you can imagine it caused a lot of argues and anguish. In 1943, Carl was at Chicago University, and he ended up in a mental institution after an apparent suicide attempt. And the obvious link here is with Camera, who has been fo- who's followed him to Chicago. But that's not been confirmed as the reason or anything. And it, how long he actually stayed in this uh, institution is unclear. Um, mm. Somewhere between two weeks and six months. 1943, Carr transferred to Columbia University, as I mentioned, and that's when he met Allen Ginsberg and Jack Kerouac. And this was the early day days of the Beat Generation sort of getting together and being mm. mates and going out drinking and doing stuff like that, taking a lot of experimental it. drugs. Camera was naturally hot on his heels. Um, and Ginsberg, Allen Ginsberg, apparently fell madly in love with Carr as well. Seems like everyone's just falling in love beautiful, with this apparently. Um, guy who would have been about eight, he would have been eighteen at this time. Um, mm-hmm. So there's actually a film uh, if you're interested in this sort of topic called Kill Your Darlings, uh, 2013. That's got Daniel Radcliffe mm. as uh, Allen Ginsberg and Dane DeHaan um, as Lucian Carr, and that charts Carr's life at this time. Uh, when when they all met, and in particular, it focuses on Ginsburg, um, and Carl's relationship in the middle of this stalking, basically by a camera. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but this is just a weird, like, off-topic thing. But Lucian Carr's son Caleb wrote an essay which I read, and he just basically pointed out all these inaccuracies of the story, and it's really interesting to read. Oh, of the film. Yeah, inaccuracy right. because they um, basically said like this is in the film like those two together are like the main focus. They're like best friends. Mm-hmm. Or, like he's but obviously really? in love with him, but apparently it was more. Um, Caleb said that Lucian's friendship with Jack Kerouac was actually the one that made him see some clarity on on the issue that was this stalker Stalker. that he had. And he says um, that when Carr moved to Columbia, he... So he was, like, he was being stopped, but he would... There was some sort of friendship there. So when he went to Columbia, he naturally sort of instinctively fell into chatting and hanging out with Camera and William S. Burroughs, who was just knocking about as well. Um, yeah, it's kind of like a weird circle. It is a really weird circle. And then because he knew them from like Chicago and St. Louis, where they've been following him, essentially, he sort of has this weird relationship. And then he got to know Ginsburg because he was very similar sort of guy to the people he knew. Uh, but then he met Jack Kerouac, who apparently, according to his son Caleb, opened him up to this completely different world because Kerouac is this like very macho man sort of thing, and mm-hmm. Lucian Carr wasn't really this like masculine ideal. Um, and in the film, Kerouac isn't a is a bit of a bit player. You basically don't see him in the whole film. Um, but according to Caleb, yeah, his, his friendship was really central to Lucian's life at the time. Um, and Caleb says that Lucian found sort of a father figure in, I know I don't want to keep psychologically analysing, but found a father figure in um, Kerouac and that he'd never found in camera because camera was this creepy weirdo who followed him about. Maybe he just mm. thought, you know, better father figure is a guy that's not been following Exactly, him. yeah. And this guy who sort of taught like him... Guiding him. Yeah, and he thought would go around and like start picking up girls and stuff. Lads, and lads, lads. Yeah, basically yeah. it was lads, 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 1940s style. Mm. Um, but yeah, like I said, I don't. this is what his son's saying, so we don't know for sure. Um, there's, he actually mentioned how well, after he met Kerouac, he started trying to put on this persona... And like when you see picture of him later, he's got this like ma- macho like mustache. Mm-hmm. It's like seventies porno mustache. Mm. But there isn't. That's not actually necessarily true from the photos I saw. Um, and Caleb is very negative towards Ginsburg in his writing in his big essay that I read. He was very like didn't portray Alan Ginsburg in a good light. So maybe that's why he doesn't want to give him a lot of credit. Him for something, I don't know. Um, he, yeah, he basically portrays Alan Ginsburg as this like really jealous gay man um and he he says oh jack harris is like strong heterosexual male guy but jack carrot was like having sex with men and women and everyone like he didn't really care about that sort of thing so anyway that's just a weird just experimental thing but obviously he met carrot and one thing that he did do was he started hanging out women getting with women and he fell in love with a woman and this no doubt increased this jealousy and this tension within the relationship he had with David Cameron. I thought he was going to say Ginsburg then. Oh yeah, yeah, I can't imagine. But Ginsburg yeah. was sort of just... He's got himself in a pickle, yeah. I feel. No, everyone's, everyone's having sex with everyone. But he's got a girlfriend now. Yeah, and, and everyone's Cameron. jealous. <laughs> Everyone is jealous by the sounds of it. So... Allegedly, Cameron would stalk Carr on some days and then just refuse to see him on others, which insinuates that there was some back and forth between them. Um, 
Anne Ginsberg and Carl are living together now in New York. And there's this anecdote, this like legend that Camera would occasionally visit and sneak in through the fire escape to watch Lucian Carr sleep. <laughs> this, I think he's 18, 19 years old boy. And this Why? older man. Mm. Um, there's a book, which I'll get a bit back to later on, if you remind me. I don't know if I wrote it. But it's called And the Hippos Boiled in Their Tanks. Mm. Quite a catchy title. Mm-hmm. And that's a book that Jack Kerouac and William S. Burroughs wrote about something. I'll tell you about in a minute. But in that book, they mention how um, Camera always was just admiring him, and he would like sit at his feet, just like staring at him. Sweet Super bizarre. creepy. I realise that this is really creepy, and I didn't think my Noriega one was that creepy. Do you remember the Manuel mm. Noriega and his yeah. pen pal? But this one, as I was writing, I was like, "This is super unsettling." Yeah, got a theme, aren't you? No, but that one was like, <laughs> <laughs> "There's no theme here," but this is just a really weird story that, um, yeah, it's unsettling. Whereas I thought Noriega was quite an interesting look at. Hmm. Listen so to that creepy. one if you want a less creepy one. Less um, creepy one where uh, an older <laughs> gentleman still. Sending Be letters to a ten-year-old yeah. girl. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, when you put it like that, <laughs> it's not great. So I mentioned they obviously knew he. Sorry, Kerouac and people knew that Camera and, and was stalking him essentially. Mm-hmm. So what did they think of him? What did he think that they think of him? Right. I what reckon they don't. What do like Cart Lucian's friends think of this guy? This older guy who's just stalking him. But William S. Burroughs is friends with him as he well. He is friends with, with Cameron, yeah. But I reckon that Kerouac and Ginsberg wouldn't have liked him. Mm. What's he called? Kerouac? Yeah, Kerouac. Like Jack. Jack Anorak. Jack Anorak. Yeah. Uh, he, um, yeah, he's like, nah, I don't like this camera book. Uh, gonna do him in. I'm gonna kill him. Oh really? Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. To talk of murder. <laughs> yeah, I just thought I'll bring it up. It's gonna happen. It's one of our podcasts. Sad going on. Well, mm, interesting. That's actually not a bad. Like you've you've thought ahead, sort of. Maybe. Mm. So they actually found his obsession with Lucian Carr a bit annoying, to be honest. Yeah, as you but, would. Because Carr was 18 at this time. But they also quite liked him well enough, um, which maybe hints that Carr didn't tell his new friends everything that happened before. Like, oh, he, how do you know this guy? Oh, I met him when I was 12. Also, if they're hearing about, like, if William S. Burroughs is saying, this is my friend. Yeah, yeah, not, exactly. Yeah, they're, they're hearing his side as well, rather yeah. than just seeing him being a creep. Yeah, and Ginsburg was friends with Carr, obviously, apparently loved him, and then he also was friends with Camera as well, so... Who's quite close with them, or good friends at least. Mm. Um, so then we get to what happened, and it starts with a weird scheme, which is I have to bring in sort of, but it's not related to anything. But then it is 1944 August. Um, note that none of these people have gone to war, yeah. Mm. But um, Jack Kerouac and Lucian Carter's scheme. I assume it's some like drunken drug fueled scheme. Um, and they had this really weird, irrational plan to go on a merchant marine adventure to France. So, and France is in the middle of war, mm. Nazi-occupied, obviously, I think, yeah, 1944. Uh, and they wanted to go to Paris and follow in the footsteps of some 19th century poet. That was, they were like, why don't we just get on the boat, 
It's got a war-torn France, Sorry. obviously. Who's this? Jack Anorak? Jack Anorak and Lucien Carr. Okay, yeah. the protagonist. Main, main guy. Mm-hmm. Um, August 13th, though, this plan fell apart because, as the beats do, they got drunk and were late getting to the ship. Mm. Which is just... How do Sums them up. <laughs> how, do, how does that happen? So instead, uh, they went to the West End, uh, which is now called Havana Central at the West End, if you're ever in New York and you want to go and visit, <coughs> to have a few solemn drinks, I think. I think they were like, oh, we missed this boat because we got hammered. So let's Hair just... of the dog. Yeah. So about midnight, Kerouac left the bar. Um, and basically, this is right next to, I saw this big map, it's right near the Columbia University campus. So it's Columbia and everything sort of around there, like the bay i think there's like a bay of like the okay. river and there's like drinking places and uh yeah carrot left him and then i just thought it's weird that maybe why would you just drink on your own though that's weird but it's a thing that they used to do though mm. like people still yeah, people do it leave people, yeah my dad's friends always do it mm. got, and some of them will an 18 year old the... boy though Man, yeah, I guess. yeah, but my dad's friends will do it where everyone's in one pub on a Friday night and they'll go to another one and they purposely won't tell the others because they just want to drink by this by themselves and then they'll like happen to bump into them and they'll be like, oh, I've just been, just been in the railway by myself. <laughs> Bizarre. That's a bit weird. Yeah. yeah we've outed think... you now on our podcast as well. <laughs> Lorna's dad's friends. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say any names. Barry. Oh, that's your name. Um, <laughs> that's um, so yeah, he's left him. Carrick's left him um, at this bar, and he's wandering wherever um, on the Columbia University campus near St Paul's Ch- Chapel, and he crosses his paths with David Camera, and Camera oh. asked, "What? Any idea what he asked?" Where's Lucian? Yeah, Where is he? <laughs> he said, "Where's Lucian?" Yeah. and Carrick told him, um, which implies that if Carrick thought that, you know, that anything was going to happen, between, like he anything bad said, was yeah. going to happen, he wouldn't have sent him if he was thought that, mm. yeah, he wouldn't have pointed him Carr's way. So Camera went to the bar and him and Carr left the bar at 3am when it closed and he wandered to Riverside Park nearby to continue drinking and apparently for cool air, apparently it was really hot, mm. 3 in the morning in New York. I've been at in New summer. York. Uh, yeah. yeah, August. Yeah, I'd um, I stayed in this guy's flat in Brooklyn, and it was he didn't have any aircon, so I was sweating. And I got in the shower, and I was sweating. And I got as I got out of the shower, I was sweating. <laughs> it was the worst <laughs> feeling in my life. I just like washed myself, and I got out, and I was like, I'm, I'm sweating again. Um, nice. Yeah, that's nice for you all to envisage. Envisage. Um, so it is unclear why the two began to fight. So, in the New York Times, an article said that Camera made an offensive proposal. Uh, Carr said Camera, and this is um, quite nasty, so if you've got children here, um, probably don't listen to this episode, actually. But definitely don't listen to this bit. Um, Yeah, Carr Carr said later that Camera threatened to kill his girlfriend, uh, Celine. Is it Celine? Celine. Yeah, young. And uh, Carr himself, if if Carr didn't sleep with Camera, uh, and it's also implied oh. that Camera tried to rape him. Could have left out, but I don't. So anyway, they're having a they're having a bit of a they're bite. having Fighting. a fight. Yeah. Uh, the New York article, New York Times article, uh, reads um, that Carr said that he rejected it in 
indignantly, and that a fight ensued. Uh, Carr was this slight. I'm re- I'm I'm ad libbing this now. He was um he was small. He's only five foot nine, weighed hundred forty pounds, and he wasn't. He was no match for this burly former PE teacher. Oh six, yeah, he's, six four, he's not. He's one hundred eighty five pounds, uh, and in desperation, apparently, Carr pulled out his pocket his Boy Scout knife, which you'll remember he met Cameron when he was in mm. the Boy Scouts. And mm. he plunged his knife twice in rapid succession to Camera's chest. Um, Carr stabbed and killed Camera with his Boy Scout knife. And mm. his son Caleb mentioned it in his in his uh, essay that um, that was you know given to him when they first met. Um, and he said, "Is that's not something that any psychologist or detective I know would ever dare to call a coincidence." But did he have another weapon? I don't think so. Him, no. So, it might be so yeah, it is a coincidence, but it's just a weird. Bit, bit of a bit of life in it. And yeah. Death. Also, he could have taken a different action rather than stabbing him potentially. Yeah, but we, yeah, we'll never yeah, know, we, really. Yeah. Um, could have stabbed his arm. Could have. He could have stabbed him in the chest. Yeah. He could have tried to run. Panic though, maybe. But he's a PE teacher. Yeah. He'd... We don't know if he taught running. <laughs> or that swimming. He might have taught jumping river. He could have taught. Yeah, he would still been. He what? might have taught high jump. They don't run that much. He could have taught. To be fair, javelin. Javelin. Oh, discus or something like the that. The yes. teachers at my school never did anything. No, they just didn't. stand there with their hands they crossed. They really didn't. Like, oh, go on, lad. Go on. <laughs> You'd have to go out in your like freezing yeah. cold, skimpy shorts and like just a t-shirt. And you'd go and they'd be like, go on, play rugby. And you'd be like, and they'd be in like full tracksuit, massive yeah, yeah, yeah. coat, hats, everything. <laughs> and they're like, go on, Do running this that mud. Why are you stopping? Come yeah. on. <laughs> and you'd be like, I Yeah, so I reckon he might have had a chance at running. <laughs> but no, I think it, you know, he's he's a very big guy compared to this. Is it, is it, I think he's 19, 18 this time. So Kerouac later said that um, when, when he sent camera car's way it turned out um he watched him ru- rush off to his death that's what he oh. was. obviously he didn't know it at the time but obviously when he watched him walk away he watched him rush off to his death it don't sound that sad that <laughs> i've taken out of context <laughs> so is car get, um getting the blame for this or is it self-defense so this is what we're going to get on to so it's been said that if car had gone straight to the police he would have likely been hailed as a hero against a pervert instead though Car rolled the body to the edge of the river. He tied Camera's hands and feet together with shoelaces, weighed his body down with stones, and pushed the body into the Hudson River. Allegedly, the body hovered. This is I only read this in one place, so I don't know if it's true. And Car had to get up into his into the water up to his chin and push it into the current. Mm. What did he do then? Question open to the floor. Uh, he got out of the river. Yeah. yeah. Got out of the river. Got out of the river, yeah. And then he wanders home in the dark. What would you do if you've just killed <laughs> if you just push him into the river? Then where'd you go? I think he goes To the police. No, he, no, he's no. gonna go to He didn't go to the police. To to his home. friends he's probably. Does sleep, he live with his friends? He lives with Ginsburg. He's, he's gone, gone there. there, yeah. He didn't go there. He did go somewhere similar though. Oh his girlfriends. Um, no, see, I didn't get much about his girlfriend then, mm. about what happened. Um, she probably wasn't sure. Mm. Well, he hurried to Greenwich Village, and that's where William S. Burroughs was living, right? And William S. Burroughs was sharing his house, or apartment, I think, with Jack Kerouac and Jack Kerouac's girlfriend, Edie Parker. 
and Lucian Carr confessed his crime to William S. Burroughs. I think that's the worst person you could go to because William S. Burroughs has been like long-time friends mm. with the guy he just stabbed to death. But he's also older and I think you might think he's wiser. Yeah, maybe. And he's been out drinking with the others. But maybe. William S. Burroughs might I don't know if he actually went looking for him or where he went looking for Kerouac because Kerouac oh, lived there as well. That, yeah. Oh, probably went looking for Kerouac. But, um, well, what do you think William S. Burroughs said to him? He attacked him. That's an option. What do you think he said? Really what would you angry. say if someone comes to you and says, just stab someone and push them in the river? I don't try and think of what I would say, oh, okay. though, because these aren't conventional people. And also, mm. like, you got to think, did he tell the whole story or did he just be like, I just stabbed him? Or was he like... I've yeah, got something he, he apparently said. He said... Uh, in this account by uh, Ted Morgan, I don't know who that is. It might be a biographer. I have no idea. Apparently, Carr threw down Cameron's glasses because he'd taken his glasses from the scene and on on a table and said, "I just got rid of the old man and stabbed him in the heart with my Boy Scout knife." Oh. What would you tell? To... <laughs> Which seems like he said it with some sort of not like, "Oh my God, I've just stabbed someone." He was like, "I've just stabbed him. Like, I've got rid of him." Finally. Citizens arrest. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, I thought he would have been like, have you tidied everything up and then just let's forget about it. Wow. You two. Dreadful person, Lorna Barry. What? I'm going to do. Advise Carr to go to the police and say that he was the victim of this man and, and that it was like this self-defence act. Um, Kerouac woke... Not Kerouac. Lucian Carr woke Jack Kerouac instead. Jack Kerouac. Uh, instead of taking Burroughs' advice. Mm. Uh, and Kerouac asked why he'd done it, and Carr said, he basically said that, what what he said uh, early on, but he jumped me, he said he loved, uh, he said he loved me, and all, all that stuff, and, I, and he couldn't live without me. And he said about the, he would mm, kill him, yeah. if whatever, blah, blah. So instead of taking Burroughs' advice, Kerouac and Carr went out to the scene of the crime, and um, I think they sort of looked around, and buried Cameron's glasses um, in one place, they dumped the knife into a subway grate on 125th Street. And then Karen Kerouac went to the Museum of Modern Art. Mm, nice MoMA. Day Had out. a wander around. See, I assume this is the early morning, day, yeah. yeah. Um, went to a hot dog stand, Times Square. Not Doing bad. all the tourist things, I know. Yeah. And, uh, they got a picture in Grand Central. They got well. a picture in Grand Central. <laughs> They went to Statue of Liberty. None of this happened. The first two things did happen. They went to MoMA, uh, and they went to a hot dog stand. Obviously, got to eat. Killing is a hungry business. Work up an appetite, don't you? And then um, they went to a cinema where they watched The Four Feathers. I've never heard of that film, but they watched oh, yeah. the film. So it was two days later that Carr actually decided to turn himself in. What changed his mind? I don't know. That's the thing. Maybe your guilt. Later. Maybe. I, I honestly don't know. I think it would know. be guilt, but I, I, I would hand be. myself must in be. first. Yeah. I wouldn't wait but two if, days it, and go to the it cinema. It seems like he panicked. Yeah, he was like, what <laughs> can I do on my I free really time? I really want to watch this film, it's yeah. just come out. <laughs> I'll go afterwards. I'll have a hot dog. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, obviously, why? Mom, uh, museum of Modern Art, I wouldn't be able to stay calm in the Museum of Modern Art. No. It's so big as well. I don't know. No, definitely not. Um, but yeah, he turned himself in. Uh, he finally walked into the district attorney's office and announced the killing. And the prosecutors thought he was crazy. They didn't believe him. Um, they, said, they thought it was the imaginings of an overstrained mind. That's what the New York Times wrote. And he sat there 
reading Yeats. Yeats? How's it pronounced? No, I've pronounced yeah. that. Um, the the um, the poet um, to the bewilderment of these police officers. He was just sat there like, oh I've killed this God, man, and I'm just going to have a little read of some poetry. <laughs> and they I'm were waiting. just like, what is, who is this guy? And these like reporters and, and the um, police officers are there. Yeah. So the police... We're only we're only convinced by Carr when he actually led them to the buried. He went the next day and he led them to the buried glasses, um, and that was around the time when David Cameron's body bobbed up mm. off oh, um, okay. West Hundred and Eighth Street. A week after, oh, where have I got to? A week after killing, um, after the killing, um, Ginsburg wrote a poem um, <laughs> called. He always did this, though. He just wrote like loads of poems called Him to the Virgin, which hinted at a complex relationship. Um, and it was written in David Cameron's voice. So he wrote it like, as David Cameron. Um, whenever you feel inspiration, And he though. also moved into an apartment. Two months later, he moved into an apartment about 100 yards from the death site. I don't know if this was all intentional, but it seems weird. Mm. <laughs> Super weird. So Carr pleaded guilty to manslaughter. So, he, yeah, he said it was a defence. Uh, he'd been molested, defending his honour when he killed him. Um, and it's impossible to know, obviously, whether this was true or not. Uh, it, obviously, I've written it wouldn't. It would not be surprising if it was true, given his early behaviour. Um, so yeah, maybe Carl thought. Maybe he thought Carl was slipping through his fingers, um, or maybe Carl just lost it. So the judge had mercy on uh, young, good-looking Lucian, as the Times called oh, him. Oh, we're not surprised, are we? <laughs> uh, and sent Carr to the Elmira Reformatory uh, and not prison. Uh, he spent two years there for first-degree manslaughter, uh, whereas the crime actually had a possible 22-year sentence. So if he got it had off. been murder. Yeah, murder. It, yeah, got off very lightly. So Jack Kerouac and William S. Burroughs mm-hmm. were... Both confined as accessories. Um, Burroughs was able to post bail immediately, um, had enough money or knew enough people, but Carrick's father wouldn't post bail, so he took another route to get out of jail. How do you think he got out of jail? This isn't as adventurous as you might think it is. I don't know. He needs money to post bail. He's in jail, though. Jack Anorak. Why? Uh, accessories to murder, murder. <laughs> and William S. Burroughs because he like buried like so, yeah oh, because okay, Lucian Carr yeah. came to him and said I've murdered someone and he was he like I'm not going to yeah, go to the police yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, Burroughs posted bail Carrick's mm. still in jail how did he get out? he briefly married his girlfriend Edie Parker so that her father would bail him out and I've written I don't know if she was actually arrested as well I don't know if she was there she might have been there mm-hmm. um, but yeah and he was, did her father pay it? yeah so, it? so he's like I'll marry you if you if your dad pays my bail and she was like okay what? bizarre people I would have said no I'm glad it's not a great reason to it's marry not. someone is it no it's not um, Ginsburg wasn't hauled into the, the legal system um, because I don't think he knew about it I don't need, I don't know if he, he found out about it no he didn't go to him, him. Um, but he was he was shocked by what happened um, obviously <laughs> um, fearing it was a horrific, horrific consequence of the morbidly tinged romanticism in which he and his friends had indulged and he started this novel, The Blood Song, based on the incident. Um, and Kerouac wrote about this event in uh, I Wish I Were Here, a novella that also went unfinished. So this murder is known as The Murder That United the Beats, which might be the titleist episode. It might be Alicia and Karen, David Cameron, I don't know. Um, and it shook up, haunted, and partly defined the entire beat movement. Sometimes it served as a blatant inspiration I can imagine this 
been mm. quite mm-hmm. distressing. Kerouac and William S. Burroughs collaborated on a hard-boiled novel about the murder called And the Hippos Were Boiled in Their Tanks, which is what I mentioned earlier. I think they took that title from some old newspaper thing, I don't know. Um, and the book wasn't actually published until 2009, uh, over 60 years after it was written, because nobody would publish it at the time. They wrote in suit, they wrote, didn't give the real names, but they wrote about this and no one would publish it. But um, it was published in 2009. Uh, and he wrote about the murder in his very first published novel, The Town and the City, and in his very last, uh, Vanity Vanity of Deleuze as well. That's Jack Kerouac. Yeah, that's Jack Kerouac. Um, so there's those two wrote a book then, the guys who helped him. Well, Burroughs mm. didn't really help him, but... Did, uh, uh, that knew about, knew the about it. They wrote, they wrote this, this account of it in a book. Carr returned to New York after 18 months away, so he didn't serve the whole two years, and joined United Press, which uh, later became United Press International, and he began a 47-year career then. Uh, oh. There, sorry. Uh, he had three sons with his first wife, Francesca von Hartz, including Caleb Carr, who apparently is a novelist as well. Um, and after Carr served his time, Kerouac wrote his best-known novel on the road at Carr's apartment, with paper that Carr had stolen from his job at United Press. Um, The legend, this is just random bits now, the legend is that Kerouac wrote the entire novel in one binge, fueled by coffee, speed and marijuana on a a scroll, but turns out there was no scroll, it was was lots of different pieces of paper Mm. uh, taped together. And then he also moved into the apartment briefly to finish the second draft. So Carr, even though he didn't write anything, was still a big part of this movement. Karen Ginsberg and Carrot remain close friends. Aww. Uh, but whilst Ginsberg and Carrot became hard drinkers and harder partiers and obviously poets and authors, Lucian stopped drinking. See, I read, I read he stopped drinking, but I don't know how true to say it's because I'll mention it in a minute. And he got that job at United Press, this big career. Mm-hmm. And he was sobered by his experience and didn't want uh, any part of beat history. He became a private man. Uh, and was very upset when Ginsburg dedicated his most famous poem, Howl, to him as he valued his anonymity. Um, And obviously the publication of this novel about hippos, um, whatever it's called, Hippos Bond Tanks, waited until after his death in 2005. if it was published, he probably wouldn't have been very happy. He wouldn't have been very happy. But I I think they might have left it then, because obviously it doesn't seem like it's a lost thing. It just seems that they decided not to publish it until after Lucian Carr died. In 2005. He died in 2005? Yeah. Oh, I thought it was just no, when... No, no. Right, So I don't, right. know if it, I don't know if it just happened that way or... Okay. Or whatever. So there's an archive of letters and postcards to Carr at Columbia's Butler Library, which shows um, that Kerouac and Ginsburg continued to look for his approval long after became famous writers. Um, Ginsburg would write intimate lyrical letters to Carr, and uh, Karak would write wise-cracking postcards. Um, and I he, think that, that's kind of what they was looking for, though. I always feel like they're looking for reassurance. Yeah, in yeah, they, yeah. They they just want someone to to be like, yeah, it's good. Yeah, <laughs> and he, yeah, he he became a talented editor. Two thousand and three, um, history. Um, what is this? Some something called him something to do with the United Press. This thing they worked for called him the soul of the news service. Uh, and he never talked about his life among the beats or, indeed, the f- his crime, the fact that he, he stabbed someone to death. Um, so I, I know that he mentioned, I mentioned that he was sober, but he doesn't seem like he was sober. Um, a long-time newspaper editor um, at, the, at the 
Press, I think, uh, Joseph A. Gambardello was a prodigy of cars at the United Press in the mid-70s. Um, and he said, when I met him, he was a hard-drinking, hard-working journalist. He did not come across as a pretentious jackass at all, which a lot of beats are. Um, and the person I, or uh, seem to be, uh, the person I'd read about with Kerouac and Ginsburg didn't exist anymore. And Kai apparently would occasionally send Garben, Mr. Gam Bardello to uh, Louis East, which was this bar adjacent to the office he worked in, to fetch a Lou Car special, a lot of vodka, and a little bit of coke. Mm. Oh boy. <laughs> That's the, that was the last line of our podcast. But um, yeah, he just. Uh, I don't know. It seems like maybe. He, he became like this quiet guy afterwards. I think it bothered him more because they did have a relationship. Like, and they were. It seems like he weren't all like David Cameron was a bad guy, but he, yeah. like the others were still friends with him. Yeah, he, he yeah. wasn't just shunned and. And it was a just a really weird thing. From the age of twelve, he knew this weird man, and then he ends up killing him and yeah, goes to jail. Yeah, and then he has to now, live with it. Yeah, yeah. he's had to live with it for the next. 70, 60 years. Yeah, I think the weirdest bit is that he was just reading his poems in the police station. Yeah, I did, yeah. <laughs> that is a bit weird. Do you reckon he'd lost it a bit? I don't know. I think he just... I don't know. Maybe it calmed him. Mm. Yeah, that's probably a good shout, actually. Maybe it calmed him. But he, he then just showed himself away from the world, which I can understand. You don't want... All your friends have become these famous people and you don't... Yeah. Everyone always asks you about that time you killed that guy. Yeah, also and he had all to like, abuse look, that he went look through. after himself and like get a good job and stuff. And he did, he got a good job. Yeah. He seems to have done alright there. He seems to have a stable life compared to the... The rest of them. The rest who were out partying. <laughs> and, um, yeah, unfortunately he died in 2005. But that's my report on uh, the murder that united or ignited the beats to... Then they wrote all these famous books and poems and all sorts of stuff after they were involved in this murder. I mm. didn't know that On the Road was written in his apartment. That's really cool. Mm. I don't know how long it took, though. Apparently, he said it took three weeks. I saw an interview with Jack Carrick saying it took him three weeks, but that's like him creating this like legend around... Like He was just typing away. He was just sat yeah. there typing away for days and days and days, but whatever actually happened, who knows? Mm. I don't know. <laughs> But that was a pretty sad story after last week's History of Vegetables story, which is really <laughs> nice. It did have a murder in it. You mentioned that early on, and I wish it, it didn't have a murder in it. And I realised I'm going to... But the thing is, if you write about a life of someone, it always ends as well. They always die. It's mm. not necessarily the murder, mm. though, is it? No. Also, we couldn't write about yeah, someone who just went to work every day. Like, Yeah, it's got to be interesting. It's, but we have to with lives, yeah. Mm. But they don't always have to be murdered. I've learned that now. Mm. 35, 35 <laughs> episodes in. When you just did another murder. When I just did another murder, <laughs> and it's, it's hit me. Um, the murders are interesting, though. They are People interesting. People get talking, oh, who did it? Oh, why yeah, did you do well, it? Yeah. Oh, there's a lot of questions mm. about murders. There's always, yeah, there's a lot around the murder. Yeah. No one just, yeah, murders people for no reason. Um, so, yeah, I don't actually have a big question for this week, if that's okay. It's fine. With you all. Yeah. Mm. Um, why are you going, mm. yeah, Like one, but, yeah. <laughs> I just feel like whenever we do a murder yeah. topic, there's only so many top- the only mm. questions we can do. Yeah, and we're like, in a bit of a rush this week as well. And this one's a bit creepy as well. It's It'd a bit unsettling. Like, how would you murder someone? Or, like, it, I wouldn't. How would you stop? Yeah. 
<laughs> there's no questions you can really ask. Um, that, yeah, there's not many, really. Yeah. So it's. Uh... Thank you for listening to my report. Um, yeah, thank you for doing it. Yeah, it's just something that I was interested in. I didn't know all that much about. So mm. that's good. Um, so should we wrap up? Just someone else mm-hmm. want to talk yeah, for a bit. I, I talk at you in my reports. I'm really sorry. I talk that's at you a lot. Sorry. I'm really interesting. sorry. Um, right. So if you want to um, send us an email, Lorna, where do we go? Idiothistorypod at gmail dot com. And if you want to tweet us, Matthew, where do we go? At Idiot History Pod on the Twitters. Okay. Um, and if you want to give us a review, do. If you want to tell two, three, four of your friends, do. All your friends. Everyone. Anyone you know. Just shove it on. Just take their phone and just go yeah. search Idiot Top History. Subscribe. And when you go into and then like, retweet our tweets. Yeah. yeah. When, when you go into the Apple shop, just put it on every oh, little that's a good idea. Yeah, so and just play it out loud. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. Um, any, any shop, really. That's like <laughs> kind of any shop that people have iPhones. Computer shop, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Or oh, any other good podcast apps. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whatever you're listening to us on. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, and... Anything else? No. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Thanks for week. coming keep, back keep and listening. Coming back, yeah. That's uh, lovely. And, and next week, um, probably Lorna will do in a topic on something. Yes. Um, mm, just a tiny bit of death. Oh, <laughs> uh, here we go. <laughs> uh, also, good things. But then stick around because we'll have a bit more death, and then when Innis will do something on like <laughs> <laughs> something funky, something funky not, yeah, and different. Not, yeah. So we'll see. So thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. We'll speak to you next week. Bye. 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 Bye.